Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. The day you arrive and think you you have arrived and you know everything is the day you're going to lose a lot of money and a lot of investors' money. So continue to be curious, continue to learn, and continue to be a student. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest-running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today I'm here with Reed Goosens. Reed is joining us for the first time since 2020. He is a repeat guest on the podcast. He's based in Los Angeles. He's a multifamily syndicator, a host of his own podcast, and the owner and founder of RSN Property Group, a full-service multifamily investment company that buys assets across MSAs in the United States. Current portfolio, approximately $685 million in assets under management. Reed, can you tell us a bit more about your background and what you've been focused on the last few years? Yeah, sure thing. And apologies, a bit of a dog barking in the background, but that's what podcasting is all about. What I've been focused on the last few years. So since I've been on the show, I founded another company, Wildhorn Capital. That partnership came to an end and I've been good friends with Joe for many, many years since I think 2014. He was originally the OG back in the day for mentors. And I think, I don't know, I think it was his first second or third student back when he was extremely cheap. So it's great to see Joe fly to new heights with Ashcroft and I know Frank very well. But yeah, in terms of personally, re come out of partnership, pick myself up again and started RSN again. And in the last 12 months, we've done over 110 million of acquisitions in a pretty tough time, given the high, the rising interest rates. So just really trying to navigate what's in front of us, trying to still raise equity, really trying to put a lot of fuel on the fire, so to speak, in terms of bringing more capital raising abilities in-house. And if anyone's actually listening out there, we're actually actively hiring for a head of equity sales. So if you reach out to me, I'll give you my contact details at the end of the show. But that's really been it. Just head down, bums up, trying to get deals done, raise more equity. I've expanded the team. We've now got seven full-time staff. And it's been awesome to watch grow and and, and also been awesome to sit in the cockpit and steer the ship rather than having to row, which you typically do as a solo entrepreneur building a business from scratch. So it's been nice to be able to bring folks on board and not take a seat back, but just focus more on where the ship's going rather than working on getting the ship to move forward, so to speak. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
did I hear you say a hundred million in acquisitions just in the past 12 months? Correct. Yes. That's in the increasing interest rate environment where underwriting standards have fluctuated to put it mildly. What's the business plan that you see yourself being able to execute on with your 2023 acquisitions? The focus is still on value-add multifamily, but we're definitely trying to solve a little bit more for affordability in and around tax abatements in certain high real estate tax states. I've done a handful of acquisitions in Central Texas around you keep your rents below a certain AMI, you get your real estate taxes wiped off. I've then expanded into South Carolina where we're doing exactly the same thing. And that has helped me buy stuff at more moderate cap rates. But also the other day, I just got the Department of Revenue from South Carolina sent me a really nice email and letter saying, guess what, Mr. Goosens, your property now has a big fat zero on the real estate taxes because we keep our rents below a certain level. So Back to what we're buying, we're buying more affordability type of stuff in and around the value-add space, but being a little bit more creative in how we get rid of real estate taxes on our P&L, because I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware of, real estate taxes can be upwards of 25 or 30%, depending on the state you're investing in. So we are really trying to solve for that. We actually just launched a build for rent community in Central Texas. 66 build for rent. My background's in structural engineering. So really excited to be bringing sort of a little bit of different type of flavor to the platform to offer our investors. So it's been a challenging environment to say the least, but continuing to get deals done, continuing to turn over rocks. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for all your listeners out there is do not sit on your hands and suck your thumb in the corner. You've got to be out there actively looking at deals, actively turning over rocks talking to brokers because there will be deals to be had. And I've seen it. I just closed on a deal at the end of last month and we bought that at a five and a half cap where 12 months earlier, that would have been at a four cap. So things are happening in real time. Keep up to date with it. And that's what we're trying to do with RSN. I heard two strategies that come out of that read, looking at low income housing for tax advantages and build to rent. Let's talk about the low income housing piece first. If you can help me understand the numbers here, in order to qualify for reduced property expenses in the form of not paying the property taxes, you have to keep rents low, meaning you're reducing your revenue in order to reduce your expenses. Where is it that you're seeing this work? And do you have any guidelines for us on when it does and does not make sense to intentionally reduce revenue in order to reduce expenses? Yeah. So look, everyone's been talking the headlines. Rent has been increasing across the country post-COVID. And we are investing in certain cities across the United States where the AMI, the average median income, is rising rapidly. HUD releases data every year on every county on where one bedrooms, two bedrooms, three bedrooms rent for. And we noticed that you can still have your cake and eat it too. You can still come in and say you've got to keep a restriction on, say, 50% of your tenants need to have rents at 80% of AMI or less. Well, we figured out that some vintage properties, particularly in South Carolina, our 80% mark is actually market rent for a two-bedroom property and a 1970s vintage asset. So we're not actually really losing any revenue. We're just looking at a different way and cutting up the pie a little differently. And we still get to have our cake and eat it too. So on one of our particular properties, we have to keep 40% of the property at 60% of AMI or less. We have to keep 40% of the property at 80% of AMI or less and we keep 20% at market. Now, remember what I just said, 80% AMI in that particular market is market for a 1970s vintage asset. 
So really 60% of the property is at market value and already the in-place rents are already so low that we can still increase them, still be below the threshold, still be qualified as affordable, which we are, and we still get to have our real estate taxes wiped off. So it's a win-win. It's obviously a very unique thing to look at. We've got to look at a lot of deals to find that sweet spot, but in a rapidly increasing rent environment across the United States, there are ways out there to thread that needle, so to speak. Effectively, you're finding the opportunities where the AMI requirements are not necessarily reducing the income potential of the property or where those requirements reduce it by significantly less than the gains involved in the property tax advantages of those deals. Is that fair? That's fair. Nice. Build to rent. Are these single family homes? You said this is in Texas? Yeah, no, not single family homes. These are just really a collection of duplexes on a five acre lot. (laughs) That's all it is. So feel like a townhome, but we're very efficient with the floor plate and the floor plans. So we're not overbuilding and you really just share a wall with the neighbor. You don't have a neighbor above you or below you like you would in a traditional multifamily. So seeing a lot of people wanting to live or feel like they're living in a house, but maybe they don't necessarily have the financial means or the cost of home ownership is just out of reach. So we're seeing build for rent being a really, really popular space that we want to partake in. We're not changing focus. Just for every five deals we do, existing multifamily, we'll maybe smatter in into the mix, maybe one or two build for rent communities. During your intro, you framed that as bringing a diversity of investment opportunities to your investors. What do those build to rent opportunities look like when it comes to global returns? Is there a targeted hold period or is it indefinite? Mm-hmm. What do the returns look like? You're looking over a five-year basis. You're looking at probably mid to low 20% IRRs on your money. So with relatively, based on my experience, obviously risk needs to be quantified, but this particular piece of dirt that we're talking about, I've had under contract for over nine months. I've had a seller carryback finance on that, enabled me to go and talk to the local city and reduce the risk of this deal in terms of the execution risk, which then we're now at a stage to bring in investors on board at the correct stage so they don't have to take on that associated risk. So I've already taken that on and I've already put it to bed. So overall, the returns are a lot better than, say, a traditional value-add multifamily. There are more associated risks with execution, but that's how, based on my experience, structural engineering, ground-up construction, I've been able to mitigate those risks by doing a few different things like taking a seller carryback finance, figuring out a path to quick execution with the local municipality and been doing that over the last six to seven months. So right now is a perfect opportunity to start capitalizing on these gems we're finding across certain target markets. You know, I was already planning to ask a question that you just led me into fairly beautifully, Reed. We're firmly in the second quarter of 2023, and it really does feel like you have to find a gem, a diamond in the rough in order to find a deal worth acquiring at the prices that sellers are still at least attempting to command right now. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to ask broadly how your acquisitions strategy has changed. I'm not necessarily asking how has your underwriting changed as much as have you changed the way that you are approaching deal finding right now? Are there different indicators, different factors? Are there different things that you're more focused on now than you were when everything was bullish for multifamily? 
First thing we're doing is we started to direct to owner marketing, trying to find off market leads. That's On easy. what size asset? Over a hundred units. And we've actually found not necessarily willing sellers, but actually willing investors who want to invest now in our deal. So it's sort of been a double-edged sword. We've got people like, hey, we like your asset. They're like, great, we don't want to sell. We're long-term owners, but we would like to invest. And we've got 1031 exchange money that I want to now put in. I like you, let's, let's, let's put into your deal. So some fruits are starting to bear, but it hasn't been the exact thing we wanted, but it's better than a poke in the eye. In you, term- the, con- the conventional wisdom among people who are scaling up, especially people scaling up from single family residential or from residential multifamily one to four units is that when you're trying to go direct to seller, eventually you will hit the size property. And it's usually significantly smaller than a hundred units where loads of brokers already have those relationships with sellers. Mm -hmm. Um, What you're saying is that you guys haven't acquired anything coming from that, but you have found solid operators who are planning to hold long-term, but want to invest in your deals. Correct. And let's not also skip over the, the next part. Brokers hold the keys of the kingdom. They are kingmakers across most MSAs, and we are still pounding and talking to them weekly. And that's really important for people who are out there listening to this because they do hold the keys to the kingdom. And it is a rite of passage that you have to go through the brokers in order to get some certain deals. That is not stopping. We're just adding a layering in a potential other source that's really automated to maybe find a diamond in the rough or get a potential investor. But that's not our main focus. Off-market deal sourcing is not our main focus. Our main focus is still going to NMHC, talking to brokers, going playing rounds of golf on the golf course, that sort of stuff to get those whisper listings. But I think right now, and at least in the last six months, the first couple of quarters, I've seen a lot of brokers with the lack of sales volume. It's 74% year over year. We've seen the biggest drop in multifamily sales volume drop off. And that's been the most since 2008, 2009. If you've got good relationships with your brokers, which we do, we're starting to see people call back out to us. And that hasn't happened in a long period of time. And this goes back to one of the fundamentals that I will always tell people when they're starting to underwrite deals is you have to go and underwrite 50 deals in a market and get to know brokers really, really well. And it will take you maybe 12 months before you get your first deal, maybe even longer, 18 months in a certain market. And that's okay, but you're building that rapport with those brokers. So then you can keep coming back to the well again and again when they start having more and more deals. In times where sales volume is low, that is when you need to go and foster those relationships in order to make sure you are the first call when a deal starts to hit the market again, or when deals start to come back around to hitting the market. So really, really important. I'm glad we went on tangent on that because I'm completely like you're saying, over 100 units, you've got to go through the brokers. You've got to go kiss the ring no matter what market you're in. And, and we're still actively doing that today. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you looking to raise money from private investors to buy commercial real estate? Syndicationattorneys.com is here to guide you every step of the way. At syndicationattorneys.com, they do more so you can do more. They create real estate syndication and fund offering documents but they also educate you on the ins and outs of raising private money, ensure your offerings comply with securities laws, and help you structure fair deals with investors so everybody wins. With reasonable lump sum fees and over $2.75 billion in securities offerings created, syndicationattorneys.com has the expertise you need. But that's not all. Syndicationattorneys.com also offers weekly attorney-led masterminds 
networking, and strategy sessions through their pre-syndication consulting agreements. To learn more, visit syndicationattorneys.com today to get started. This offer is not available to Florida residents. Reed, talking about the deals, the listings, the opportunities after they've hit your inbox, what is different about the way that you are analyzing them or looking for opportunity in those deals now than you were two, three years ago? I think the big thing is I'm not stretching like I probably was doing back in 2020. And stretching meaning like trying to get things to pencil when you're jamming a square peg through a round hole to win a deal over putting in six, seven figures of hard money to win deals. So today that's not like that. And it's around really the debt market because we're a little bit uncertain of where debt is going. So looking really at that true going in cap rate, I know a lot of people sort of say no deal will ever work. Well, you've got to understand the story behind the deal first and foremost, but that arbitrage of going in with a negative arbitrage of a cap rate versus going in interest rate is something that we are very much steering away from. And we want to have that positive arbitrage or at least a neutral arbitrage going in on any value add multifamily today. That is really the number one guiding principle that we're looking at deals with that lens moving forward here in 2023. Reed, you fell into a trap that I was trying really hard to not set. <laughs> and, and that is that everyone in 2023 wants to say, how has your analysis changed? Our underwriting is more conservative. You didn't say it in such words, but that's the answer I was trying to avoid because of course it's the answer that you're giving. It's a very prudent 2023 answer to give. What I'm looking for is you've given us a couple of them already, frankly. There are a couple of different tools. It seems like you're adding to your tool belt right now, build to rent, the low income property tax play. Are there any other things? that you're looking for in a deal that make it a better opportunity now, as opposed to the way that you could just erase the numbers that you penciled to make them work in a market where that actually was viable? I think it's all about, for me, using market data in markets where we're actively in. So Phoenix, Central Texas, the Carolinas, and then knowing that what we're renting for already in certain markets, what renovated product is going for is really, really driving home what we're confident on. We just closed on an 88 unit. It was a smaller size deal in a really nice area of, of Tempe, Arizona. Now, Phoenix has gone to be battered through the headlines in terms of softening rent. But when we pulled the curtain back, we bought that asset at a nearly a five and a half cap in a very, very trendy area of Tempe. And the rents in place were so significantly lower than what the comps are. Now, everyone says, look at a rent roll, and they understand it. But when you're operating in a market and when you have real-time data from your own portfolio to say, I know what a two-bedroom, two-bath will go for at 1,000 square feet, but I've got an asset down the street that's in a lesser location, and I can justify my underwriting. That is what makes it more powerful to then have more conviction and not only to the brokers, but to the sellers. It's like, I know where this value is and we're going to come in and execute on it. So back to your question, it's a little bit more of a surgical knife when it comes to underwriting, but also when it comes to operating. So when we do get our deals under contract and we close on them, we're really, really, really looking at what is the existing rent? What's that lease trade out? And going and making sure we're getting solid lease trade out today before we actually go and spend that value-add money. And that helps us continue to push the needle along, combined with that positive arbitrage that we're talking about, conservative underwriting, yada, yada, yada. 
but that is where you have to be in terms of confidence in taking down a deal in today's environment. This is really interesting and I think really helpful as well, Reed. I may have just been asking the wrong question. Let me summarize what I'm hearing just to make sure I'm on the right page, but also for our listeners. I'm going to use some Tim Ferriss language here when it comes to making business decisions, particularly with acquisitions. What I was asking you for was, what is your analytical advantage? And what I heard you say was, it's not as much an analytical advantage as it is an informational advantage and a behavioral advantage. Correct. Because of your experience in the market, you have a deeper understanding of the products that are coming to market and what you're able to do with them because you're already across the street doing it in several MSAs. That's right. And the behavioral advantage is that you already have some at least operational excellence. So you know how to meet timelines and make sure that the numbers that you put on your spreadsheet actually come to fruition in the execution of the business plan with the hard asset. Is that fair? That's fair. Great summary. I really loved it. Awesome. Well, it's been a few years. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. What is the best ever book you recently read? Recently read? Traction, EOS. It's got dog ears all over it. We're actually meeting up with all the team in New York for, I think, our fifth or sixth EOS meeting. So uh, looking forward to that. So Traction by Gene Wickman, I think it is. So Gina uh, Wickman, yeah. yeah. Gina, Gina Wickman, yeah. So that's the recent one, which is actually practically helping the business move forward in leaps and bounds. Before we move on, for those not watching on YouTube, you have your book behind you, Investing Mm -hmm. in the US. Tell us about that. What can I tell, mate? It's a collection of stories from my podcast, cultivated into a very step-by-step guide for investing here in the United States. It's not just for international investors, it's for everyone. And it really documents my journey of how I came, started with literally nothing, and been able to grow a real estate empire and done it within the space of less than 10 years. And the old saying goes, if an Aussie can move halfway across the world and achieve financial freedom, why can't the average American? So that's really what the book is, cultivation of stories, cultivation of my stories and others to help people go off and be their best selves. On that note, Reed, what's your best ever way to give back? Probably through the podcast. I do a weekly podcast, obviously investing in the US and it's been going since 2014. So it's been a great way to give back to folks who want to learn and continue to listen to other people share stories about how they've grown their businesses here in the US. Reed, thinking about your acquisitions since the last time you were on the show, the properties you actually acquired, what's the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? I think the biggest mistake looking back on it will be floating rate debt, right? Well, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> that's unprecedented and we had rate caps, but still the last 12 months is I think everyone's learned a bit of a lesson. So I think the lesson is that no one can implement their business plan as quickly as what the Fed can increase interest rates. <laughs> so, um, you know, so uh, I think that's, that's, that's probably the lesson. <laughs> yeah, that's well put. No one can implement a business plan as fast as the Fed can raise interest rates. <laughs> I think there are a lot of banks that needed to hear that a few years ago too. Right. On that note, what is your best ever advice? I think I said this before, but I'm going to give it to my dad. I always give it to my dad. A fool and their money are easily parted. So don't be that fool. Continue listening to podcasts like this great one. Continue educating yourself. And always continue to be curious about being a student and learning. There's never a time where I'm not trying to learn about something because I don't know everything. And the day you arrive and think you you have arrived and you know everything is the day you're going to lose a lot of money and a lot of investors' money. So continue to be curious, continue to learn and continue to be a student. Last question, where can people get in touch with you? 
Easiest way, reedgoosens.com, R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S.com. If you're ever coming through Los Angeles, hit me up, info at reedgoosens.com. I'd love to go out and share a beer, share coffee, talk some real estate, but just hit me up. That link is in the show notes. Reed, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our episode today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.